And anybody that can give an explanation of evil is uh, the smartest person in the world. Because uh, when Job's family is destroyed, they die. His friends have the answers. And they may be well-intentioned, but every answer is wrong. And when he asks God, God doesn't even give him the answer. He just says, there's things I know that you don't know. But the writer of Job has pulled back the curtain in chapters 1 and 2 and let us know that we, we get in on the secret. And that is Satan has come before God. Evil has come before God. And God has allowed Satan to destroy this man's life and his family. And we get to see that. <clears throat> we don't know why it happens, but we know who's responsible for it. And Satan is responsible. There's evil in this world. It's a dangerous place. Don't tell your children that it's a not a dangerous place. We are living in a dangerous place. Evil was in the Garden of Eden in a perfect environment. So evil is in this world. Jesus died a violent death at the hands of evil people. And this will continue. Fortunately, we have a solution, and that is that one day evil will be eliminated and there will be peace on earth and there will be no more tears and we'll be wiping away the tears because there will be death no more. But uh, this is a very difficult situation and this has just brought our attention to focus on evil once again. And we'll have many more other opportunities to focus on evil. Just think about the people in Afghanistan when a bomb drops, and sometimes it's our bombs. And guess what happened? 20 kids get killed. They're experiencing things like this at the hands of their own people, the hands of the Allied troops, and parents are crying over there every day just like we're doing it today. And uh, in America, we can call it collateral damage. You know, because we're doing something that's ju just. We're trying to uh, eliminate evil, but in result, the result is you know, there are innocent children that are killed as well. Some of those children are Christians, by the way. You know, because there are Christians that live all around the world. And guess what? Some of them are not Christians. There are adults that are dying that are not Christians. They're going into an eternity without Christ. So... Evil takes on many manifestations. Uh, we don't understand it all. But uh, one day we will know that uh, it will be gone. And uh, as Don said, uh, Herod, this evil king, who wanted to control his power, uh, sends his men out to kill children at the birth of Christ. So it's just interesting that all this is happening at Christmas time. Well, let's take our Bibles and we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 15 Matthew 2 is about the slaughter of the children by Herod and we're going to end with the slaughter of Jesus by another Herod he's going to experience a violent death the first Herod tried to kill him when he was a babe this other Herod will kill him as an adult will be responsible for his death as an adult 
And we're now in Matthew 15. And what we see is the tide is turning against Jesus. There is a division uh, in Israel over Jesus and his ministry. And the Jewish leaders, for the most part, are opposed to Jesus. And the masses of the common people support Jesus. And today we're going to see another confrontation that Jesus has with the authorities. So we're in Matthew 15, and look at verses 1 and 2. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, these are the authorities, who were from Jerusalem, came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, here in verse 1, we see two groups. We see the scribes. Now, who are these people? The scribes are um, scholars who hand copy Old Testament scriptures and interpret the Old Testament law for the people, for the nation of Israel. And they are involved in reading all the rabbis' opinions. There were a lot of rabbis that lived during uh, the time of Christ and before who wrote commentaries on the scriptures. Just like if you went out and got a commentary by John MacArthur and you read it, you get MacArthur's opinion on what the scripture says. And the rabbis wrote commentaries. And uh, these scribes read the rabbis and their opinions. And the second group were called the Pharisees. And this is a religious party of Jews consisting of very wealthy laymen who believe that they are the protectors of the pure faith. They are pietists. They believe in living a, uh, a holy life and they have great influence upon the masses of people. Now look at their origination. It says in verse 1 that they... Uh-oh, we have a little accent in here, so let's take a break. the uh, origination of these people in verse 1. It says uh, they were from Jerusalem and they came to Jesus. Now what this means is Jesus' reputation has spread far and wide. Remember, Jesus ministers in the north. He's ministering in Galilee of the north. These men are from Jerusalem in the south. 80 miles south. That means the reputation of Jesus has reached all the way down into Jerusalem, probably through travelers, and these men have come to check Jesus out. And what they hear and what they see, they do not like. Okay, so that's what you have. That's the setting for what's going on at this point. Okay? So this leads them to ask a question. Look at verse 2. And they say to Jesus, why do your disciples transgress, present tense, why do they continually transgress, transgress what? The tradition of the elders. Because they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. The issue is 
washing of hands at mealtime. That is not a scriptural command. You cannot find that in the Bible, that you should wash your hands before mealtime. That is a tradition. The elders read Leviticus 11-15, through 15, which talked about being ritually cleansed and ritually defiled. If you touch a dead person, you're defiled for a week. You're unclean. If you uh, touch a person that has leprosy, you're unclean. So in those four or five chapters in Leviticus, it talks about being unclean. The rabbis, starting in about the 5th century B.C., wrote their commentaries, and they began to extend the teaching. They added to the Scripture. And they said, and by the way, you should wash your hands before you eat. Because you never know what you've touched. Just in the course of the day, guess that that would ritually defile you. So you don't want to be defiled, so wash your hands before you eat a meal. So Jesus gives the answer. Look in verse 3. He answered them and he said, Well, why do you transgress the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. So, notice what he is saying. You're saying we transgress tradition. I'm asking you, why do you transgress the word of God? Why do you transgress the commandments of God? And the emphasis there in the verse is on that pronoun, you. And so it reads like this. Let me ask you a question. Why do you yourselves continually transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? So here we see that Jesus says, Scripture trumps tradition. And by the way, when these men asked Jesus about his disciples washing their hands, why do your guys not wash their hands? They weren't asking a legitimate question. That wasn't a question. Oh, it's in the form of a question. It's an accusation. Watch out for people who ask you questions in such a way that it's actually an accusation. So uh, Jesus issues his own charge. And look what he says in verse 4. He's going to give, he asks, why do you transgress the commandment of God? Because God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And he who curses his father or mother, let him be put to death. But you, that's what God commands. God commands that you do these things. But you, in contradiction, continually say, well, whosoever says to his father or his mother, whatever profit you might have received from me, is a gift of God. Then, he need not honor his father or his mother. And thus you made the commandment of God of no effect by your <coughs> tradition. Now, what is Jesus describing here? He's saying you break the fifth commandment of honoring your father and your mother. And uh, how do they do that? He says you do that, look at the end of verse 5, by saying to your parents, what profit might you have received from me? Is a gift of God. What they're doing is they're saying, you know, I could have helped you, but everything that I've got is a gift 
that I've dedicated to God. And I can't help you. It's God's money now. I've dedicated this. This was a tradition that the Jews practiced that was called Corbin. And in the Gospel of Mark, he actually uses the word Corbin. Now, what in the world is this tradition that allowed them, in their minds, to justly break the law of God? What was Corbin? Uh, Corbin was when you had a piece of property or money, and you pledged that money. Now, listen, you've got this property or money, and you pledge it to the temple when you die. Let's say today we say, you pledge it to the building fund. Everything that I have, I'm giving to the building fund when I die. It's dedicated to God. It's a gift for God's use when I die. That was called Corbin. That was your Corbin money or your Corbin property. And uh, once you designated your money to be used for the temple, it couldn't be transferred to anybody else. It was dedicated for God's use. And so what happens if your aged parents need some help? You say, well, I could have helped you, but everything I've got is dedicated to the temple. It's Corbin money. I'm sorry. I can't do it. My hands are tied. Now, there was a loophole, of course. There's always a loophole. And the loophole was that even though what you had was dedicated to the temple, uh, if you needed it for your own self, you could use it. But you couldn't use it for anybody else. And when you died, then everything that was left over went to the temple. Sort of like, a, for those of you who are in financial, know a little bit about finance, it's like an irrevocable trust. It's where you trust your property or a certain amount of money to some organization. Maybe they give you 6% a year to live on. You can use some of that money, but when you die, it goes. So what would happen is that the parents uh, weren't helped. See? And in effect, by keeping that tradition, you ended up breaking the fifth commandment, which was honor your father and your mother, and you didn't do it. Instead of what you're doing, it was basically cursing them. It was like just cursing them and saying, get out of here, you know. So you didn't help them. So that's what we have in this passage is that Jesus says, well, why do you break the commandment by your traditions? And so look what Jesus does. He labels them in verse 7. I like this. He just says, hypocrites, you hypocrites, you phonies. The word hypocrite means play actor, a pretender. Oh, you pretend to be pious. <laughs> you say you want to protect the law. You have scribes here that they're going to interpret the law for you. You bunch of phonies. I like Jesus. That's why I like George Bush. Second, he had names for everybody. I like, I like when you call people. Uh, so he calls them hypocrites. They pretended to be pious, but they were not. Hey, what does the Bible say? He who doesn't take care of his own family is worse than what? Now, that's what the Scripture says. But they didn't care about Scripture. They cared about tradition. Tradition is a very dangerous thing in many cases. And then look what he says in verse 7. He quotes the Scripture. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people, this is what God said through Isaiah, These people draw near to me <clears throat> with their mouth. 
Do that. They honor me with their lips. They talk a good game, but their heart is far from me. Notice this empty words. You see that? Empty words. Look at verse 9. In vain they worship me. Empty worship. Look, empty words, verse 8. Empty worship, verse 9. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of who? Men. Whose commandments should we follow? God's. So, Jesus says, for you, tradition supersedes Scripture. For me, Scripture supersedes tradition. So, he's dealing with the scribes and the Pharisees. Now he deals with the second group, the crowd. Look at verse 10. And when he called the multitude to himself, that's the crowd, notice, when he called the multitude to himself, notice that they're on the periphery. You see that? He had to call them to himself. They've been listening to this conversation, but they're out there on the edges. So he calls them to himself, and he said to them, Hear and understand. Pay close attention. Look at verse 11. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, like the Pharisees say, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man. It's not your dirty hands your dirty heart. It's not what you put in. It's what comes out that defiles you. That's what the scripture says. Tradition is not the source for our teaching or our beliefs. Now he speaks to the third group. His disciples. Look at verse 12. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know Oh, I love this. They came to him. Now, notice he had to call the crowd to him, but this time, here's his disciples. They run up to him like this. They come to him. Hey, do you know something? We got something to tell you. So you never read it that way. When I read the scripture, that's how I read it. I see these sneaky little disciples that keep me up here. You want to know something? We have something to tell you? Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? The word offended is scandalized. Don't you know that what you said to the Pharisees offended them? This is what I call the timidity of the disciples. Hey, Jesus, you better watch out. They didn't like what you just said. Better back off a little bit. Tread lightly. But he answered and said, verse 13, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. And he's not talking about plants, is he? He's talking about people. Every plant that is, has not been planted by my Father will be uprooted. Sounds like the wheat and the tares, doesn't it? These people aren't wheat. 
These people are tares. They're weeds. Oh, they look like something that's productive, but they're not. And they will be uprooted. When will they be uprooted? At the judgment, at the great harvest. This is the same thing that John the Baptist said back in chapter 3. He said to the Pharisees, You brood of vipers! The axe right now is even laid at the root. See that word root there? And every tree that does not bear fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus is saying the exact same thing. These phony balonies are going to be exposed one day and they're going to be judged. And uh, so when the disciples say to him, remember this is his response to the disciples. He said, Jesus, the Pharisees don't like what you're saying. And what does Jesus say? What do you listen to these guys for? They're going to be thrown into the fire. They're going to be judged. You don't follow the cues of the Pharisees. You should be following the commandments of God. So he gives them a command. Look what he says in verse 14. Let them alone. Look, I like that. Don't concern yourself with these people. What do you listen to them for? Just let them go on. Let them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. If you listen to them, you're as blind as they are. They're the blind leaders of the blind. If the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. If you follow them and are concerned by what they say, you'll end up in the same place that they end up. He's saying that to his disciples. He's saying that to us, by the way. So that's the third group. <clears throat> now you know that somebody else has to get his big mouth into the situation. So Peter pipes up. <laughs> then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. Now I believe this is Peter at his brown-nosing best. <laughs> uh, he cuddles up to Jesus after he hears the little bit of rebuke, and he says, uh, like he's interested, Hey, Jesus, can you, can you explain this a little bit more to us so we can understand exactly what's going on? And he doesn't get the answer that he expects. Look what Jesus says to him in verse 16. Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Or to put it in modern-day terms, what are you so stupid? You don't understand this? <clears throat> Everybody else understands it. Obviously the Pharisees understood what I was saying. They got offended by it. <laughs> and this crowd, I just explained it to them. They understand it. What are you so dumb that you don't understand it? See, he wasn't expecting Peter wasn't expecting that, but that's what happens when you play this game. And Jesus says. Do you not understand yet understand? Don't you yet understand that what enters the mouth goes out, goes into the stomach, and then is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. And then he gives a further explanation. Because out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. <clears throat> 
out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Everything starts. It originates in the heart. It starts with an evil thought. It starts with us pondering something evil. And then what happens, our thoughts lead to actions. Look at verse 19. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Everything starts with an idea or a thought. And then here's the results. Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. Now, this school shooting that took place in Connecticut on Friday started with a thought. It started with an evil thought. It originated in the heart. But it started in, with an idea, a distorted thought. That's why it is absolutely essential that we maintain our thought life. That's why the scripture says, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are a good report, meditate, think upon these things. Don't get your mind polluted with things that produces evil thoughts. Those things that are mentioned there, by the way, in verse 19, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, follow the exact same order as the Ten Commandments. Commandment 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. If you notice that, they will be 5, murder, next, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, and blasphemy. But it all starts with thoughts. Our evil actions, by the way, are not spontaneous events. Let me say that again. Our evil actions are not spontaneous events. They're premeditated events. This guy thought about what he was going to do. He just did what? I just lost my mind. person who commits adultery has thought about it for a long time before they did it. A person who molested a child has thought about it. When we do these evil things, and I'm not just talking about these little things, I'm talking about these evil things that are mentioned here in the commandments. They are the result of distorted thinking. When a person sits on the witness stand and perjures, he's thought about. He's thought the consequences. He's weighed his chances of getting away with it. And he commits perjury. It starts with the mind. <clears throat> That's why we need to contemplate things that are positive, not on things that are evil. That's why you have to protect what you do on the internet. That's what you have to why you have to protect what you do in your writing and your thought life. Now look at verse 20. These are the things which defile a man. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Taking us back all the way to verse 2, which is the question, why do your disciples transgress the traditions by not washing their hands? 
Now, can we come up with any lessons from this? <clears throat> I think there are two lessons for me that I would like to leave you with. Lesson number one, it's essential that we get back to the Bible. Our measuring rod for truth is the canon of Scripture, not human tradition. The word canon is a word that means measuring rod or ruler. The guideline that we use to conduct our lives is the Scripture, not tradition. Many people adopt tradition, and as a result, they push aside the Word of God, although they say they believe it. These Pharisees would have said they believed every single jot and tittle in the Old Testament, but they actually set it aside for tradition. It's very easy in a church with a history like ours, or in old denominations, to allow tradition to trump Scripture. We need to get back to the Bible. We fall into a trap because tradition ends up leads you to a ditch. Okay? Now, the second thing I want you to notice is in verses 12 through 14, where Jesus says to the disciples, they come to him and say, Don't you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard these things? And then Jesus goes and tells them about the blind leading the blind and the tree being uprooted. These verses are only found in Matthew's account of the washing of the hands. Not in Mark and not in Luke. Only Matthew includes it. Why do you think Matthew would include that little section in his gospel but the others don't? Well... You always have to go back to who's Matthew's audience, and Matthew may be writing 50 years later, and that audience is facing the same situation where their Jewish friends and relatives are a little bit offended by the teaching of Jesus and what God calls the Jewish people to do, which is repent and be baptized for the remission of their sins, and they are proclaiming Jesus to be the Messiah, and their friends are a little bit offended, and, G and Matthew puts this story in, which happened, so that they would have some instructions on how to deal with people who are offended. Let me tell you something. You will deal with people who are offended when you say Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. And you can either be like the disciples and yeah, we need to tread a little lightly. Well, there are right ways to say things and wrong ways. That's true. But that's the scripture. The other people have their traditions. Oh, all ways. All different ways to salvation. And we need to make sure that we stick with scripture and not with tradition because those people are the blind leading the blind and they're going to end up in a ditch. If you follow that route, that's where you're going to end up as well. So we need to make sure that we get back to the Bible and we don't worry about tradition. We put our faith in Christ and in the Word of God. Now, next week we're going to look at, at verses 21 and on and you're going to meet a Canaanite woman, a Gentile woman, who has no problems at all believing what Jesus says. 
And she dis displays great faith when his own disciples display doubt. And so here you're going to see a woman who is just a common... With the Jew, Jews would call it a dog, an unclean Gentile, whom they turned to dog, and that's the word that Jesus uses to describe this woman. And yet he ministers to her because in verse 28 he says, Great is your faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. Help us to get back to the Bible. Help us not to be glib. <clears throat> Help us not to be fearful of what people think. Help us to stand with your word and with the commandments. Help us to learn this lesson. Not get off on secondary issues, but to focus on the major issues from your word. Lord, help us not to give people trite answers about the tragedy that's happening in Connecticut. Help us to say we don't understand it all. But one day, Evil will be eliminated and death will be no more. Help us, Lord, to be a comfort to those around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.